Hi, everyone. Welcome to Waste 360's Nothing Wasted podcast. On every episode, we invite the most interesting people in waste, recycling, and organics to sit down with us and chat candidly about their thoughts, their work, this unique industry, and so much more. So thanks for listening and enjoy this episode. Hi, everyone. This is Liz Bonsall from Waste 360 with Robin Wiener, president of ISRI, the Institute of Scrap Recycling Industries. Hi, Robin, and thanks for being on the show today. Hi, Liz. I appreciate the invitation. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Me too. So, Robin, we normally start at the beginning. So, please tell us about your background and your journey to ISRI. Sure. Um, I've actually been at ISRI for over 30 years now. I started back in 1989, believe it or not. And I certainly, when I started, never expected to stay for more than a couple of years. I was actually going to law school at night at the time, looking for a job that uh, would allow me to uh, leave at five o'clock every day and run over to law school. And ISRI at the time was looking for someone in the environmental compliance space, and I had a background in engineering and environmental consulting, so it seemed perfect. And I just fell in love with it. And when it was when my law school uh, career was over, um, I I actually had worked uh, as a summer associate at a law firm doing environmental law, but found that I couldn't leave the recycling industry. I just really it did get in my blood, as they say, and decided to stay. And so I ended up doing a mix of environmental compliance and, and legal work for ISRI for several years. And then in 97, was fortunate enough to get the role of executive director, president of ISRI, and I've been doing that ever since. And it's been a wonderful journey. Oh, wow, I love that story. And like you said, I think we fall into this industry and fall in love with it and, and stay. So your story is typical of what we found. That's amazing. So tell, tell us more about what ISRI does and the work, the important work that you're doing there. Sure, thank you. Um, well, ISRI is the trade association for the for-profit recycling industry. So we represent all those companies that are processing, brokering, consuming uh, recovered metals, recycled ferrous and non-ferrous metals, glass, paper, plastic, uh, electronics uh, and tire and rubber, and so we all we're essentially representing a very large segment of that circular economy because our members are sourcing from residential, commercial, and industrial. The um, the framework that we're working in and all the things that we're doing for the industry, whether it's the networking that we uh, provide the education and training, the advocacy has really expanded over the years to include a larger number of stakeholders. So, for example, in the last year, we launched a brands council because we recognize how important that relationship is with the brand. So we can talk about recyclability and design for recycling and, and really effectuate change in terms of what's happening and what's coming into the recycling stream. So, I mean, the bottom line is our mission is to promote the safe, environmentally responsible, and economically sustainable recycling industry through education, networking, and advocacy. 
Wow. And like you said, things have really changed. I mean, you've seen it evolve over the decades in general with the industry. So what excites you the most about what's happening in recycling right now for you and your members? A number, there are a number of things. First of all, what always excites me most are the members themselves. And that's the reason why I say the people are just so wonderful and so dedicated and committed to responsible recycling. And so I love working with them. And one of the interesting things about uh, working with Israel so long is that there's never a dull moment. <laughs> there's always <laughs> there's always issues coming up there and, and they're constantly changing. And one of the big shifts that we've certainly seen in really over these last two years, which I think COVID accelerated this shift, but it was coming towards us anyway, where for years our main focus was government and, and uh, really the federal government, although we do advocacy on the international level, the federal level, and the state and local, um, a lot of our focus was on federal. That's where most of the activity was. And although certainly there's been a, a, a very, um, um, trying to think the right word, uh, there's been a lot of discussion on the federal level and in Congress in particular about recycling, um, where we're really seeing the most impact to day-to-day -day operations is what's happening on the state and local level, actually international, but also um, what's happening in that other space, which is becoming so much more important, where all the other stakeholders are effectuating change in the industry. And it's really what I'll call the sustainability space. It's where we're doing a lot of work on workforce development and trying to help widen that pipeline for getting uh, people interested in working in the industry, whether it's through our youth outreach efforts, our efforts with working with HBCUs and tribal colleges and trade schools on the wonderful careers that are available in recycling, the work we're doing on recyclability and trying to provide some certainty in the residential recycling stream in particular as for fiber-based uh, packaging as to what is recyclable and what isn't through this recyclability protocol. We're going to be uh, hopefully finalizing in the coming weeks or months, and we're doing that in conjunction with brands, with the mills, with the recyclers and the MRFs, and it's been really exciting. Um, and it's all the work we're doing um, in the area of safety and environmental compliance to help ensure and, and raise the performance in the industry uh, in order to be not only responsible recyclers, but also work as uh, partners in the communities that our members are located. And while our members have been doing so much in this area already, I don't think they thought of it through the lens of sustainability, but we're seeing that's where it's all coming together these days. And we're trying to help our members tell the story and help the industry tell the story about um, our role in sustainability. And that's probably one of the most exciting things for me right now. That is, it's so exciting and um, it's important to tell those stories. I love that you're doing that. And then something else you said really stood out to me. I'd love to hear more about the youth program that your team established to really widen the pipeline for workers in the industry. Sure, it, it's interesting. It started about, probably I would say seven or eight years ago. We didn't think of it in terms of workforce development. Uh, but more in terms of youth outreach and raising awareness about recycling, because one of, I think, the biggest challenges that the recycling industry has and has had for years, and, and it's frustrating that it hasn't 
we've made some some developments and some progress, but not as much as I'd like, is that they're people don't really understand what recycling is all about. And, you know, they just think of that blue bin at the end of the curve. And so one of the things we realized that uh, we we could do to hopefully effectuate change is to reach out to K through 12 students and help them better understand recycling and get excited about recycling. Because when you think about it, those are our future leaders. Those are our future journalists, our future policymakers, and hopefully future recyclers. And so we developed a partnership with Jason Learning, which is a nonprofit that is focused on STEM education, actually founded by Bob Ballard, who is the um, oceanographer who discovered the Titanic years ago. And he was very interested in STEM education. And when he, when the news got out of the discovery, he was inundated with letters from school children saying, how do I become the next, you know, how do I get the, find the next treasure? And so um, he leveraged that to form Jason Learning. And I'm just so excited about the work they do. And we partnered with them to develop this recycling curriculum that is constantly updated. We also have an annual um, poster and video contest where we bring the winners into our convention. And there is nothing like seeing a 11-year-old standing on the stage at one of our conventions with a you know thousand people in the audience showing off their video. It's so cool. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. <laughs> um, with full disclosure, I have two children, two daughters who I want to make sure have good uh, foundation in STEM. So it's, there's that appeal for me as well. But um, that was really our first step into um, the world of workforce development because we hadn't done anything um, in that area before except for a couple of like benchmarking studies on compensation. And so we were very fortunate when Cheryl Coleman joined us. Um, she, uh, Cheryl Coleman is our VP of Sustainability used to head the recycling efforts at EPA, and before that she was in South Carolina with state government doing um, environmental uh, enforcement and regulatory development. And she's a real leader in the space, and we were very fortunate that she joined us in October of 2020. And one of her passions is also education and also diversity and DEI efforts. And he uh, brought to us the idea of actually focusing on an untapped community, which are those um, college students at the historically black uh, colleges and universities, at tribal colleges and universities, and of course the trade schools. And working with them to raise awareness about recycling and make them aware of the diversity of jobs that are available in the recycling space, everything, you know, blue collar, white collar, there are just so many jobs out there and so many career paths that you can um, that you can join in the recycling industry. And so she has helped us develop this program that we're piloting this year, actually, with a number of HBCUs and other colleges. And we're really excited about it. As a matter of fact, she's off next week to um, a, a job fair down in Georgia. And we're going to be um, starting the process of getting information out and, and recruiting students into the industry. And we're real excited about it. Oh, that is exciting. And congrats on Cheryl. She's uh, She has spoken yeah. at our events before, and I've seen her. And uh, she's fabulous. What a great person to head up your sustainability efforts. She is. I'm really, I feel really lucky every day that she's with us. 
Oh, awesome. And I, I did watch when you guys had your um, virtual version of your event, I did see some of the children presenting their videos and I was wowed. I, I kept thinking, are these children really that young? Because they did those explaining right. videos and they spoke to the right audience. I was super impressed. What a, what a great program. As a matter of fact, if you ever come to our offices, our large conference room is actually what we did when we moved in a couple of years ago was we framed a lot of the posters that we received from the children and they're all around our conference room and it's really inspiring i love seeing that oh i love that you did that that it's fun and it's bright and it just think, makes you think forward and appreciate yeah. today i love that and then I know you mentioned some of the things you're doing, but I know that Isri's committed to environmental justice too. Um, what, what do you see as Isri's role in that right now? It's a great question. We, as you uh, may know earlier, I guess last year, we came out with um, a policy statement about the recycling industry's commitment to our communities. And that's really what I think environmental justice is all about, which is, being a partner and being a real stakeholder in the community where um, the operations are located. And certainly an important part of that is being a responsible recycler, protecting uh, worker safety, providing, um, making sure that our facilities are in compliance with all the environmental laws. And so we, and we've always had a, a large emphasis here at Israel providing that support. But it's beyond that. And it's also working with the community to understand their concerns and their priorities and be part of the progress of making those communities stronger. And it's interesting because one of my struggles, Timiana, I don't say my struggles, but one of the challenges is that I know from being in the industry so long how involved so many of our members are in their communities and the things that they do whether it's, um, it's things as, as basic as supporting the local, you know, little league or uh, working in the, providing volunteerism in the schools, uh, providing jobs to those in the community. There are just so many examples, but our members don't talk about it. And so one of the things we're trying to do is um, get that information out and also help um, strengthen some of those efforts and again connect our members to their local community and make sure that that conversation is occurring and that we're doing all we can to be that partner a strong partner in the community that's great and like you said I think a lot of them are already ingrained in their community it's a matter of just talking about that showing that and um, really fostering that even more exactly so I saw, Robin, that you're now on the board of the Recycling Partnership. We love that organization, and I'd love to hear more about your relationship with them and if there's any special work you're doing there you'd like to chat about. Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, we started getting involved in the Recycling Partnership a couple of years ago because of what I said earlier, which is that in the, especially in that residential recycling space, which ironically is only about 15% of the volume of recycling that's occurring in the U.S., but it is the most visible. And it's the one that um, it, the conversation is really centering around in terms of policy, public policy, and uh, the general public. And that space, the number of stakeholders 
is just enormous. Um, whether it's the brands, it's communities, it's the towns, it's NGOs, it's just there's so many entities involved. And that's a community that, to be honest, are a group of stakeholders that we hadn't had a relationship with. We had been, up until about five years ago, we were really focused more on the commercial and industrial and working directly with the ASMPAs and Aluminum Association and Steel Manufacturers Association and, um, and others that were, were touching the streams. But we realized we had to get more involved and the recycling partnership was the perfect way for us to uh, be able to be part of the conversation and part of the solution to some of the challenges that we're facing in the residential space. And one of the challenges certainly is determining what is recyclable. And so um, that's why we have the recyclability protocol that we've developed, but we also have to link it with um, other efforts to determine recyclability and make sure we're all aligned. And that's one of my priorities working with the Recycling Partnership has been to link our protocol with the protocols being developed for other commodities as well as through the Recycling Partnership because they do have a large voice and we need to be part of that voice. And so we've been successful for in that in those terms. Also, there's been so much focus on solutions around what communities can do and what individuals can do, but there's also a lot that manufacturers can do and the brand owners can do in terms of design for recycling, because um, the recyc the recycling community, the recycling industry recycles what comes into the stream. And sometimes what comes into the stream is not designed for recycling. And so if we want to increase recycling rates, we have to also focus on design and the end markets. And so working with the partnership is helping us doing that. So we're doing uh, uh, work with other partners, such as the Department of Energy, through their remade program, where they're, we're involved in a number of different uh, R&D projects focused on uh, finding ways to uh, increase recovery of commodity value out of products, as well as other ways to increase uh, recycling overall and make it more effective. And looking at technologies, processes, the economics of recycling, and Remade has been an exciting program we've been involved in since the beginning, and that's it's a very important program to us. Oh, I bet. That's and I will, sorry, I, I also add there are others working with as well. I sit on the board also of Keep America Beautiful, which um, has been important because their focus is on an area of recycling that doesn't get a lot of attention, which is public space recycling. And we're at a point where we really, uh, supply and demand are both very important and we need to focus on both of them. There's no panacea. There's not one thing we can do to increase recycling. You have to really do uh, look at all, all different parts of the chain and where all the different pressure points are. And one of the pressure points is also supply. And it's increasing supply and reducing contamination in the supply. And one of the sources of that supply are public spaces, parks, and other public spaces. And Keep America Beautiful is focused on that. And we, we very much support their efforts as well. Well, that's great to hear. And they are doing really good work. And then I know you yeah. mentioned supply, and I know we all look around for the recycled content itself. What what are your thoughts on on EPR as it stands now, and and what we'll see in the future, considering how regionalized recycling is? 
the EPR is a complicated issue. It's it, and I know that um, EPR is being promoted as a solution to uh, what is happening in the residential recycling stream, but we actually believe that product stewardship policies or EPR policies actually have the potential to disrupt the recycling infrastructure and that what they're doing is they're disrupting existing markets and often they're much broader than they need to be also in, in terms of they're bringing in materials that are also already functioning very well in the market-based system we have right now for recycling and so we think that any um, attempts at EPR should really focus only on those difficult to recycle items. So we would certainly support consideration of policies that are temporary in nature so that they they they, they can they boost a market um, and until those markets mature. And that when addressing difficult to recycle materials, we would support a system that provides collection, a collection me mechanism for those materials that could be through a manufacturer, perhaps facilitated collection system that's in cooperation with retailers, or perhaps it's a system that compensates the municipalities or the recyclers for the costs associated with a separate collection, transportation, and processing system for those difficult to recycle system, uh, difficult to recycle items. We think that a, a smarter way to approach this is to look at those pressure points instead in the recycling system. And so instead of looking for an overall panacea, look at what are the, where are the specific challenges we're facing in the stream and then addressing each of those. So for example, um, with regard to collection, it's those difficult to recycle um, items. With regard to the end markets, it's uh, spurring end markets through, for example, uh, you mentioned this earlier with regard to recycled content uh, policies that either encourage or if needed mandate recycled content in uh, manufactured products which will certainly spur demand uh, we can also look at solutions such as again design for recycling there are certain um, packages and certain products that simply are not recyclable if they're designed right now so if we want to increase recycling, what we have to look at is the design of those products and systems. And certainly there are certain investments that need to be made in, in certain communities to um, modernize equipment, to, um, uh, to provide uh, for more robust collection systems. And again, that varies by community where one of the interesting changes uh, that I'm actually fascinated by that has occurred over the years is back in the 90s when we talked about, we used to talk about MRFs, for example. MRFs were always municipal recycling facilities. They were those facilities owned by the municipalities and operated by the municipalities. Today we talk about MRFs, uh, we're talking about material recover facilities and they are, a lot of them are the private recyclers. I think well over the majority. I've seen, I think a recycling partnership says that it may be around 70 or 80% of MRFs are now privately owned companies that either own the facilities or um, operate them on behalf of the municipalities. So we're looking at a much different structure and it's amazing the investments that have already been made on the private side into improving those um, MRF operations, those processing facilities to increase recycling rates. 
But until we change the design of the products themselves um, and make them more recyclable, there's only so much that the recycling industry itself can do. It's so true. It's by the time it gets to us, right? A lot more should have been done before it um, came our way. Right. And I think what to that point, one of the my one of my biggest frustrations, to be honest, over the years, these last few years, has been that. Um, this is going to sound really funny coming from me, the head of a recycling association, but um, the fact that everyone thinks that recycling is the solution to everything. Um, recycling is certainly part of the solution, but we can't recycle everything. Not everything is recyclable. So true. And I, that's a logical way to look at it. And I think we all just need to realize that. And, <laughs> and like we're all doing, trying to get the stakeholders together earlier so that we talk about it before it's developed, before it's created and gets in the stream and we're dealing with it end of life. Exactly. So what else is on the minds of your members these days? Um, well, certainly um, a number of the things that are affecting the economy as a whole and, and man the manufacturing economy as a whole in particular. I mean, our, um, our members are facing supply chain bottlenecks like others in uh, the economy are. Uh, the inflationary concerns and also the elevated freight costs. So um, we're also working on issues, or we're working on issues that are certainly specific to uh, the industry. We're also uh, working on the, those issues that are broader in nature. So, for example, we've had a lot of conversations over the last uh, couple of years with um, the Surface Transportation Board on mechanisms to. Uh, deal with a lot of the challenges the industry has and others have had with uh, rail transportation. And I'm pleased to say we've had a number of successes, actually, uh, specifically on uh, demerge charges and also transparency in, in invoicing to make it easier to challenge the railroads, actually, on some of the uh, the billing that they've done. And, but there's still a lot more to be done. And so we're continuing to work with the Surface Transportation Board. And also on the shipping side, the ocean freight side, we have been uh, very actively working with the Federal Maritime Commission and with others to look what can be done to deal with a lot of the arbitrary practices, I would say, and challenges with not just container availability, but um, canceled bookings and the long waits for um, unloading and loading of the ships, et cetera. So one of the things we're excited about is we've been very active on the Ocean Shipping, Ocean Shipper Reform Act, which is moving through Congress. And so we're going to continue to advocate for that to try to relieve some of the pressure on the industry. So uh, those are those are some of the priorities that aren't often talked about, but are just as important for the 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 functioning of the industry oh, and growth of the industry over time. I'm glad you addressed those because those are pain points um, that, like you said, not everyone is talking about. We all know about the, the the shortage, the labor shortages, and things like that. But I'm glad you addressed these other issues too. And then what about Policy, you you touched on that a little bit too, but I know that uh, ISRI does such a great job lobbying and um, advocating for members. And um, what else is happening there? Sure. Um, uh, thank you for asking that question. I mean, as we know and referenced earlier, there are a number of bills on the Hill that um, are trying to address some of the issues in recycling. 
And what we've been doing is a lot of, to be honest, behind the scenes work to uh, work on language and definitions. And we're actually really excited that, um, and I, I have to thank our chief lobbyist, Billy Johnson is just phenomenal. Actually, he was awarded a um, lobby, one of the top 100 lobbyists, actually, uh, just this, uh, just last year. So I'm, I'm really proud of him. He's, we're lucky he's been with us for, I think it's 17 years now. He's done a great job. But one of the things we have focused on and a core principle of Israel since uh, before I started, so it goes back a long time, um, is that uh, recyclables are not waste. You know, there's, there's clear distinctions between recycling and disposal, between uh, whatever you call them, secondary materials, scrap, recyclables, and waste. Those are different and should be regulated differently. And, but one of the challenges is there aren't universal definitions. And so we have been working very hard to ensure that any, any legislation or regulation that goes forward contains definitions that, that reflect the distinctions between, uh, again, recycling and disposal and uh, recyclables and waste. And so we were very fortunate that in um, some of the recent bills that actually there, were, there was testimony yesterday actually in the Senate EPW committee uh, regarding two bills that are in uh, um, that are moving to the Senate right now focused on recycling. And we have been able to, through Billy's good work, actually those bills, if anyone's interested, are the Recycling Composting Accountability Act and the Recycling Infrastructure and Accessibility Act of 2022. Um, he's worked with um, numerous Senate offices and we've been successful in getting correct definitions into both of those bills. So it's clear what recycling is and what recycling is not. And so that's one of our priorities. Um, we're also working very uh, hard on another core principle, which is free and fair trade and ensuring market access for recyclables. So occasionally we have seen efforts um, that in a number of bills that have uh, both Senate and the House where there's uh, there's language to uh, put controls, export controls, for example, on uh, recyclables. And so we're doing a lot of work to ensure that those uh, efforts don't move forward because it, it's a global industry. Recycling is a global industry. And is our and our success, the success of recycling and, and the success of the circular economy is dependent upon the ability of these recyclables to move. And so that is a very uh, foc a major focus area for us. Oh, okay. That's great to hear. And thank you for giving everyone more information on those because I know they'll want to follow. And then I know you came into this wonderful industry as a, as a young woman looking to change the world. Do you have any advice for other, others coming in and what they'll find here? <laughs> sure. Um, I don't know that I came in to change the world, but, um, <laughs> but um, uh, I would just say that it, it is a, a, a phenomenal industry to work for and the people are great. Uh, the opportunities are great and there's so regardless of your interest area, there are things that can be done that we've got, uh, you think about everything that's going on, we touch every part of the economy, whether you're interested in um, policy or you're interested in technology and engineering and accounting and finance, whatever it might be, um, there are opportunities in the recycling industry. And regarding women in the industry, 
I just am um, so thrilled to see the growth of more and more women entering the industry, but still we have a ways to go, and I, I recognize that. And so, you know, Israel for our Women in Recycling um, Council has been active mentoring and just providing a network for women to get to know each other and to, to learn more about the industry and to grow. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just excited about the opportunities that are out there. Oh, that's great. Yeah, me too. And I haven't been in the industry as long as you have, but I've definitely seen the change in demographics and uh, just everywhere. I think that there's more diversity and there's an appreciation for it. And I just think some of the people, the young people who are coming up within this industry, I mean, they have the best ideas and they're so innovative and brilliant that it's really in a good place. And I think the future is bright. I agree. And actually, one of the unique things about the recycling industry, and, and I, I mentioned the fact that there are these opportunities in different career paths, whether it's accounting, engineering, finance, policy, whatever it might be. But what makes it really unique is the fact that um, by joining the industry, not only can you follow your interests, but you can follow a passion, which is helping to make the more resilient planet. I, by being, You can actually change, may effectuate change by being in this industry and uh, promote environment, pr promote sustainability and be part of a movement. And that's pretty unique and exciting. It really is. And I think the sky's the limit there in depending where you are and, and your growth trajectory, because there, I mean, I think we've only touched a piece of what will be done in order to really make the planet a more sustainable place. And that's a huge part of this industry's job. I love it. Yeah. Well, Robin, I'm so glad I got a chance to finally speak with you. Is there anything else you want to share uh, before I let you go? Um, just that I, I appreciate the opportunity to talk. And if anyone is interested in learning more about recycling or getting involved, we've got our convention coming up, uh, which I'm very excited about. It'll be the first one in three years. Uh, we're going to be in Las Vegas the week of March 21st. And registration is already soaring. It's a great opportunity to uh, network and to learn more about recycling, uh, exchange best practices, and just have a lot of fun and actually see the latest in equipment in the industry. And I welcome any and all who want to join 5,000 other recyclers uh, to join me in Las Vegas March 21st through 24th. Great. Well, thank you so much. It's a pleasure. I feel like I've learned a lot, and I look forward to seeing what else you and Isri all of you do in the years to come. Thanks for your important work, Robin. Thank you. Thank you for listening. It would mean the world if you would take a moment to rate or review this podcast. And if you share it with us on one of our social networks, we are giving out some fun, nothing wasted podcast swag. So just tag us and see what you get. Thanks so much.